into this time now, Father. We are hungry and we are thirsty for your word and your wisdom. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would illuminate those things to us today. I pray that he would speak to us individually, Father, that he would fill this room and fill our hearts so that when we leave this place, we will leave transformed people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, over the past uh, few years, like some of you, I've lost some close friends. Some close friends of mine have uh, passed away, and as I've been thinking about this uh, for the past few weeks, one of the things I realized is I have vivid memories of my last conversations uh, with some of my friends who've passed. Have you ever noticed that before? Uh, You have these vivid conversations of friends who have passed, and you can kind of replay them in your head. You could remember them. I remember talking to Mike George, uh, he used to play on the worship team here, uh, visiting him in the hospital. And when, the last time I talked to him, he pulled me really close and he said, Brandon, I am so thankful for Hope Covenant Church. It has been such a blessing and an honor to play up here on the stage and become friends with different people on the worship team and be a part of a church that gets it, that is centered around the Bible and centered around Jesus. And, and I recall that conversation often. I also recall a conversation I had last fall in the parking lot when we had our Bluegrass Harvest Festival. You guys remember that? Uh, yeah, Jim was up there dancing, and it was a fun time. And uh, I remember when the band was playing, I was in the parking lot, and Gilbert Hernandez came up to me. I hadn't seen him in a while, and he came up, and he gave me, he gave me this big bear hug like he always does, and, and pulled me off to the side, and he started crying, and he started telling me how thankful he was for this church and for his relationship with Jesus and for his wife, for Stephanie and Christina, his daughter. And uh, I almost started crying. It was just this special, cool moment that I remember and relive often. We have a way of remembering the last conversations that we've had with people who have passed. And I imagine that the disciples also remembered the last conversations they had with Jesus. They pondered them often as they were starting the early church. And so this morning, I want to invite you uh, to listen to one of the last conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. In John chapter 13 through 17, uh, there's a section of scripture called the farewell discourse. And what Jesus does is he does what many of us do. Uh, when we're at the end of our life. He surrounds himself with his closest friends and family, and he talks to them in a very intimate way. He reassures them of his love, and he prepares them and equips them to move out into the world. And so today we're going to be looking at John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out at this time. Uh, It's John chapter 13. We'll start at verse 1. Uh, The text will also be on the screen behind me, and uh, if you take out your sermon notes, you could follow along there as well. The Apostle John, who, remember, was part of this conversation, who was in the room, starts out in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's stop there for a second. So this this story, this scene takes place in the city of Jerusalem. And it takes place in Jerusalem during the Passover festival. And if you know anything about the Passover festival, you know that it was the biggest event in all of Jerusalem. It was kind of like the Super Bowl is in Glendale today. People were coming in from all directions, from near and far, to be part of this 
this action, to be part of this uh, buzz, this celebration, to remember a great act of deliverance when God rescued the Israelites out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. So that's why they're there. Look again at verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So in this scene, they're in this room and they're having dinner around this table. Uh, And back in those days, there was no chairs. So they were all sitting on mats. And uh, the way you ate dinner is you kind of leaned in onto the table and you'd kind of eat and laugh and talk and your feet would face outwards. And as they're talking, as they're eating, as they're laughing, as they're having dinner together, something amazing and incredible and astonishing happens. And it happens in verse 4. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, which was a sign of dishonor. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had wrapped around him. So remember, uh, during this time, it's a very busy season in Jerusalem. There's uh, livestock, and there's the hustle and bustle of the crowds, and there's dirt, and there's grime, and, and the streets are muddy and messy. And of course, during this day and age, people didn't have closed-toed shoes like we do, right? There was no Nikes or Treks or whatever you're into. There was open-toed sandals, And so as you'd walk through the city, as you'd go on your journey and do life, your feet would get messy. They would get dirty. You would step in some old food or or some mud would splash on them and and sweat would perspirate uh, off of your feet and they would pick up all of this junk as you went throughout your day. And that's why there was a custom in the ancient world that when you entered a house, there was a big bowl of water that was by the door and you'd have somebody wash your feet and would get all that junk and gunk off But it wasn't just cleansing, it was also refreshing and revitalizing. It must have felt good after a long day's journey to have cold water on your feet. But make no mistake about it, the job of washing someone's feet was a lowly task, right? Who wants to kind of get up in between people's toes and clean them? I mean, it's just, it's gross, it's nasty, right? Uh, You know, hygiene wasn't a high priority during this time. Uh, And that's why it was one of the most demeaning and lowly tasks that you could have. In fact, according to rabbinic tradition, uh, Jewish slaves could actually refuse to wash people's feet. It was that low. It was for the bottom tier uh, slaves. And um, in our text, though, we find something absolutely amazing. We find Jesus, who knows he's going to the Father. He knows that death is imminent, that death is near. And what does he do? He embraces the position of a slave. Jesus, the creator of the universe, embraces the position of a slave. The text says that he gets off of the table. He takes off his outer layer of garments and he goes around the table one by one and starts washing the disciples' feet. He starts doing the job of a slave. He starts doing this disgusting, menial job. And then in verse 6, something happens. Finally, he gets to Simon Peter. He was probably expecting Simon to say something. Who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later, after I am crucified and resurrected, you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Stay away from my feet. I haven't clipped my toenails in two years. (laughs) Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. 
Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath do not need to wash your feet. Their whole body is already clean. You are already clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not every one of you is clean. So you got to love Peter, right? Peter's that guy who always says what everyone else is thinking. He always says what everybody else is afraid to say. He's kind of like a little giddy sixth grader, you know, who's just kind of all heart and just says whatever is on his mind. And in this text, Jesus comes to him and he wants to wash his feet. And Peter says, no way. Get on the other side of the table. That's too personal. That's too intimate. I don't want you to do that. And what does Jesus say in return? Jesus says, if you're with me, if we are family, which we are, then you need to let me do this. You need to let me do this on my terms, Peter, even if you don't have it all figured out yet. And in response to that, Peter says, okay, well then keep on washing my body. I want whatever you're given. And of course, Peter doesn't really understand the point here because what Jesus is doing is Jesus is talking on two levels. There's this rich symbolism in the text. On the one hand, he's telling Peter that he's already clean. He already has a relationship with Jesus. He's already been forgiven of his sins because of the work on the cross that is about to be happened. He's already been bathed in God's redeeming love. That's done. But what he, Peter, needs to understand is that in this relationship, there's a place for ongoing cleansing a place for ongoing refreshment, a cleansing that washes the wounds and the filth and the weariness of the day. And that's what Peter needs, and that's what you need, and that's what I need. See, as you and I walk throughout our day, we pick up gunk, don't we? We pick up the junk of finances and relationships and long days at work and sin and weariness and all this stuff has a way of sticking to us. Other times we find ourselves lost in, in these kind of dark, messy back alleys where we make a mess of things and it's precisely in those times that Jesus comes to us to wash our feet. That Jesus comes to us to remind us that he came to earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do about our messy world? He entered into the brokenness so that we might live. And every second of every single day, he enters into the messiness of your life. And he washes, and he washes, and he washes if you'll let him. If you won't keep him at a distance like Peter will, Jesus will wash your feet. Jesus will renew and revitalize and restore you. So this morning, I want to tell you that Jesus wants to wash your feet. The question is, will you let him? Will you let Jesus wash your feet or will you respond like Peter and keep him at arm's length? Will you tell Jesus he can never wash your feet? That's too personal. That's too intimate. That's too close. Will you try to wash your own feet by working harder? by making a name for yourself, by faking it till you make it? Or will you accept Jesus' invitation? Today he says to us, let me wash your feet, be vulnerable, allow me to cleanse, heal, and revitalize you because that's why I came to earth. Yes, that first happens when we become believers, when we experience new life in Christ and say yes to Jesus and are forgiven of our sins. God bathes us, God cleans us. But there's also this need for an ongoing washing in our relationship with Jesus, an ongoing experience where he regularly ministers to us. He's not done contributing to the relationship that he started with you a long time ago, and he wants to continue to transform you and to change you further into his image. So I wonder where you need to let Jesus wash your feet this morning. 
Um, I think some of you probably have wounded feet. I've actually talked to a couple of you over the past month that have, have wounded feet. You're kind of walking with a limp, and you scraped your foot on something a long time ago. Maybe it was an abusive relationship. Maybe it was a parent who was there but really wasn't there. Uh, maybe it was a hard conversation or a lost job or a lump of debt, and you have this thing that has made you walk with a limp, and you've never given it to Jesus. You've never given him access to your feet. You've never given him access to your life. There's no quick fixes, but we have to start by allowing Jesus to tend to our wounds, to allowing him to heal and renew us. Others of you have tired feet. Are we allowed to be tired in today's world? Uh, Maybe you work long hours at work. A lot of us do that. Uh, Maybe you're married and both of you work and it's just tough to make things work. Maybe you travel a lot. Maybe you're a parent with young kids. Holy cow, that's a lot of work. Um, over the past few months, our girls have thought it's a good idea to wake us up three times a night at one, three, and five. And it makes me really tired. You know, I mean, as soon as I kind of get in that deep sleep, that REM sleep, it's almost like Adeline and Claire just standing by the door ready to burst in and wake me up. Uh, but the good news is that Jesus came for the tired and weary. He came for the burden, and he offers us rest. He also offers rest and renewal and foot washing for those of you who have dirty feet. For those of you who have something stuck and you don't know how to get it unstuck, maybe it's a besetting sin, something that you're struggling with and you're struggling with and you just can't seem to push it out. Maybe it's a lump of debt that just piles up and it just doesn't seem to go away. Maybe it's a person in your life or an unanswered prayer and you pray and you pray and nothing happens and it just seems like God doesn't care. Let Jesus wash your feet, confess your sins, confess your lack of faith and let him meet with you. One of the reasons we need to let Jesus meet with us is because according to John 13, once Jesus washes our feet, we are enabled and empowered to wash other people's feet. Look with me at verse 12. John writes, when he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Uh, How many of you, I'm curious, have heard of uh, Cruel before? Any Cruel fans in the house? Zero. Okay. Uh, Well, let me tell you about Cruel. It's been around for about a thousand years, and it's a type of uh, embroidery that uses wool. And, uh, okay, we got to (laughs) win. Thank you. I might be pronouncing it wrong. I don't know. But for Christmas, uh, Kelly, my wife, got a Cruel kit when she was in California. She had never done it before. Um, But basically, you have this kind of pattern, and you, you hand stitch over the pattern and follow it and do what it says. And if you do, it's time intensive and it's laborious and it's detailed, but eventually you could create something beautiful. And so I got a picture here of what Kelly made over a couple days uh, in California, uh, our pretty little yellow bird. Um, And it's interesting because if you look at our text, if you look at verse 15, this is exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's telling them to follow the pattern 
to follow the pattern that he has set for them. The word for example or pattern in verse 15 is podigma in Greek, and the idea of podigma in the ancient world was a picture that showed you how to do something. It referred to tracing that somebody else would follow and fill in the details, a bit like doing cruel at home. Jesus is giving the 12 disciples, as he's giving all of us a podigma or an example to follow. He tells us to follow the pattern. Today, Jesus wants you to wash other people's feet. He wants you to wash other people's feet. That's what we're called to do. He instructs us to love well, to live a sacrificial life. And so that's what I want to talk about. But in order for us to understand how to love well, in order for us to understand what it means to kind of wash people's feet, we have to understand a couple things. First, we have to understand that foot washing is personal and intimate right? Foot washing is very personal. In fact, a lot of you spouses won't even let uh, your husband or wife touch your feet because it's too personal and uh, it's too close. And it's interesting because if you look at all the surveys and all the studies that ask people, what's the most unsightly part of the body? What's the grossest body part? Across the board, they all say the feet. I don't know what it is with the feet, but people don't like feet. They think it's it's personal and it's gross. Um, But in a similar way, feet and uh, I'm sorry, in a similar way, love is also personal. Love is also up close. Um, in 2002, I lived in Kona, Hawaii, and I attended uh, the school called the University of the Nations. And uh, while I was there, I lived in a room with eight other guys. And anytime you put eight guys in the same room, uh, there's kind of a recipe for conflict. It's just, it's like a natural law or something like that. And so it didn't take us long. It was the first week that we were all living together. And I remember uh, there was uh, a good friend of mine who lived there who was from Georgia. His name was Robert. And uh, he was a big boy uh, from Georgia. uh, And uh, he used to sleep through his alarm clock every single day. He would set it for like 5.30, I don't know why, and then just hit the sleep button and it would go beep, 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 beep. And, you know, we we were, you know, all furious about it until one day my friend Peter, who was a baseball player in high school, decided he had enough of it. And so, you know, the alarm went off, beep, 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 and uh, Peter got up, picked up the alarm clock, unplugged it, and chucked it as hard as he could against the wall, and it just burst into about a thousand pieces. And that was uh, the end of the alarm clock. Um, But, you see, Peter and I didn't get along very well. For some reason, we had conflict. We didn't really like each other, but we never said it, you know, we just kind of rubbed each other the wrong way. Have you ever had a relationship like that? And, and so, so, so Peter and I were always kind of at odds with one another in this kind of passive-aggressive way until one day this woman came and she preached on John 13. And she talked about washing one another's feet. And at the end of her sermon, she invited us to wash one another's feet. And nobody would do it until Peter got up, walked over to me, looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, Brandon, can I wash your feet? And we went in the back of the sanctuary and he got down on his hands and knees with a bowl of water and he washed my feet. And and during that moment, there was something special and there was something sacred because I realized and I understood that Peter understood what Jesus was talking about. Peter understood that foot washing is humble service. It's a sacrificial life that puts other people's needs above your own, that loves well. Too often, though, I'm afraid that we're unengaged that we try to love from a distance. We mistake tolerance for love. Do you ever do that? You mistake tolerance for love. Some people say love is simply accepting everything everybody does and says. Love is accepting all practices and belief. And hate is disapproving of practices and belief. 
other beliefs. But the problem is that's not love at all. Tolerance is not love. If I see somebody hurting themselves, I might not care much about them. I might be tolerant, but I'm certainly not being loving. You see, love cares more than that. Love is not indifferent or uncaring. Love is not just saying your feet look wonderful and pretending they do. Instead, love is engaged. If people will let you, love is coming alongside people and helping them become everything that God has designed them to be, everything God has created them to be. It's about empowering people. It's about loving them enough to speak the truth, even if you have to challenge them, even if you have to point out their shortcomings in a loving way. Love is caring enough to invest in this community here at Hope Covenant Church, not as a visitor, but as a host. It's about viewing our church not as a hotel, but as a home. This isn't somewhere that you come in and out of. This is a place that you belong to. We're family, and in order to be family, it means that we invest in one another. It means that we we, we ask people to come to our house, and we check in on them and pray on the, on the phone with them, and we do the dirty work, the hard work, the vulnerable work of getting to know people. Foot washing is personal and intimate. Loving is personal and intimate, but it's also something else. Foot washing is for everyone. Notice in our text, it's really interesting. Jesus washes Peter's feet, but he doesn't just wash Peter's feet. He also washes Judas's feet. Judas, the man he knows is going to betray him, the man he knows is going to sell him out for 30 shekels of silver. He goes to him, he gets down, and he washes his feet. And then he tells his disciples and us, follow my pattern. Which means we need to wash everyone's feet. But unfortunately, oftentimes, we don't do that. We're selective in our love. I'm selective in my love. And so what we do is we tend to just love people like us, right? Or we tend to just love people who we want to be like. Maybe we say to ourselves, I love this person because I'm attracted to their success, or I'm attracted to their personality, or their mind, or their sharp wit. And so we invest in people just like us, instead of investing in everyone, instead of talking to that person that we don't know in the corner of the narthex, instead of inviting somebody to dinner that we might not otherwise do. But the language of love is very different. The language of love is very different. When we only hang out with people like us, it's selfishness. It's not love. It's using people as a tool to feel better about ourselves, as a commodity to fill us. But the language of love and the act of foot washing asks another question. It asks, how can I fill you up? How can I invest in you? How can I empower you? How can I move towards you in a way that doesn't discriminate, in a way that doesn't ask the question, what's in it for me, but instead asks, what's in it for you? That's what Jesus does, and that's what he invites you and I to do. So a couple questions to consider. Do we love like that? Is our love personal and inclusive? Do we love everyone or just someone? I remember hearing the story a while back uh, about Mother Teresa. In 1989, uh, she visited Phoenix, Arizona to open up a home for the poor. And during her brief visit, uh, she was interviewed by the radio station KTAR. And uh, at the end of this interview, there's this kind of private moment uh, with the uh, radio host and Mother Teresa. And he asked her, he said, Mother Teresa, is there anything we could do for you? You know, he's expecting uh, a contribution suggestion or some media attention or something like that. And, and Mother Teresa said, yes, there is something you could do to me or do for me. Find someone no one else loves and love them. You want to help me out? Find someone no one else loves. Find somebody that's unlovable, 
that's passed over and go love them. You see, Mother, Mother Teresa understood the heart of foot washing. She understood how love is supposed to be intended for everyone at Hope Covenant Church and for everyone in Chandler, Arizona and for everyone that touches our life. And that's exactly what Jesus calls you and me to today. So how are we doing with that? Uh, I know a lot of you are really busy. You don't feel like you have time to wash feet, to invest in people, but maybe we need to start making time. Maybe that's part of the process of getting over ourselves and looking more like Jesus and following Jesus' example. And there's others of you in here, and you've been hurt by the church. You've been wounded by other believers. Uh, I've been there before, and I want to, first of all, apologize to you. I want to say I'm sorry on behalf of all Christendom that you have been hurt by the church because a lot of you have uh, some real legitimate wounds, and that's okay. This is a safe place to grieve. This is a safe place to process that. But at the same time, I want to say to you that your Redeemer lives. And what that means is you don't have to stay in that broken place. You don't have to stay afraid of relationships. It's not so much that the problems and hurt and messiness that you've experienced is insignificant. It's that it's so significant that Jesus Christ hung on a cross to overcome it and liberate you and give you freedom. So the invitation for you this morning is to live in that freedom, to imbibe that freedom, to take risks, to invest in other people, to do the hard work of washing feet. What will it take for us to get there as a church? What will it take for us to go deeper and roll up our sleeves and do the dirty work of loving? As we close today, I want to challenge each and every one of us with one simple question, and it's this. What is one thing that you can do today to wash feet at Hope Covenant Church? What is one thing you can do to wash feet at Hope Covenant Church? One tangible and specific first step. Start small. Uh, for some of you, you're not currently plugged into a ministry. And this is a great Sunday. This is a great opportunity uh, to check out different ministries. We have uh, seven different booths in the back that give you all different kinds of information about the ministries we have here. Maybe that's a first step. Maybe it's greeting once a month, serving in the nursery, helping Ryan with lights, cooking meals. It could be something like that. Uh, I encourage you to do that. At the same time, our goal isn't just to get a long list of volunteers. There's no quotas at Hope Covenant Church. And oftentimes, loving well and washing feet has nothing to do with signing up for a ministry. So maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's just staying for a barbecue after the service and meeting two people you don't know. Maybe it's inviting somebody that you know here at church to your house for dinner that you've been meaning to do for a long time. Maybe it's calling someone, checking in on them, and praying with them over the phone, or loving somebody who seems unlovable. I don't know what the first step is for you, but my question is, how will you follow the pattern that Jesus sets for us this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, climbed out of heaven, came down to earth, was born in human likeness, set aside his divine privileges, lived among us, served us, showed us how to be truly human, how to live, and then died a criminal's death and was resurrected to new life. And we thank you that embedded in that story, Father, is how you call us to live, Father. And we pray that we would follow Christ's example. We pray that we would love well, Father. That we wouldn't live selfish lives, but that we would live other-centered life. Father, we pray that our love would be personal and inclusive, that it would touch all people, no matter what they disagree with us about. 
Father, I pray, Father, that you would be stirring in our hearts different ways of washing feet this week. I don't know what that looks like. It's going to be different for each one of us. But I pray even right now that your spirit will be doing a work in our hearts and showing us how we can look more like Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.